time. All right, welcome to another episode of the Pleasantly Persistent Podcast here with co-host Christy McGill. And today we have on Stephen Manning. Stephen, welcome. Thank you for joining us. Thank you. Thank you. I appreciate it. I, I apologize for not correcting it earlier. It's actually Stefan. Sorry. Ah, uh, got it. So I apologize. All right, got it. So Stefan, uh, can you uh, please intro yourself and then we'll we'll get into it? Uh, yeah, so I'm uh, Stefan Manning, uh, currently the director of purchasing over at True Food Kitchen. Uh, we're a 43-unit uh, you know, sort of national chain. Uh, but uh, for me, uh, cooking has kind of been the, the only thing I really did in life, um, cook and teach people how to cook up until about five years ago or so when I uh, got thrown into the supply chain side. Uh, seems like I was just dangerous enough with the math and Excel spreadsheets that uh, they decided I couldn't stay in the buildings uh, directly anymore and needed to have a bigger impact across the board. And it's been a, an interesting, uh, interesting run through from there in that transition, but uh, still a messing with food and and helping uh everybody get get what they're looking for to to make great meals happen um, what does your super bowl spread look like you getting fancy or simple what, what's the strategy um i'm one of that that slim population uh slim percentage of the population that has absolutely no skin in the game when it comes to any sporting yeah. so uh it, it's odd that it's happening here in my hometown of phoenix this year it's uh, added a lot of additional chaos and layers but uh yeah i was paying attention or knowing what's going on i think i know who's playing but i, I don't yeah. know that yeah. out so, i'm wrong well it, it, yeah. i i live in kansas city uh with so one of the teams that is playing and i'm a terrible fan who doesn't know what's going on <laughs> yeah. i got yeah. shamed a bunch today because i'm not wearing red uh, <laughs> That's fine. So, um, I, I'm last Super Bowl, I'm, Super Bowl question. I'm curious: Has the traffic been much more? Has it been like a good vibe in the city, or is it just like overwhelming and you're over it? Um, well, so it it happens as a, like a perfect storm of events here in in uh, the Phoenix area. We also have the waste management open, um, and I forget the exact right. timing. So, like our Scottsdale part of town was already sort of brimming with excitement and energy, um, and then um, the the actual bowl game is over on the west side uh, of the city overall. Um, so there's a pretty good, like, you know, uh, like 25, 30 mile spread between the two sort of like epicenters. Uh, but there's just so much that a Super Bowl brings to a city as far as additional events and free stuff. And, you know, there's there's definitely a, a much more excited vibe. But it, it's also, I guess, kind of sucking up um people into those event spaces as opposed to other restaurants and other things until later in the evening uh like my wife and i were out last night and uh, we went to a really nice place um you know kind of closer to where all the action is um we got there around like 6 30 or so and it wasn't empty but it was still a little slower than like the average sort of dinner run um but by the time we got ready to leave at like 8 8 30 like the place was popping and bursting at the seams everyone was kind of done doing the other things they were doing and now it was like you know kind of getting into the city proper so and so I'm curious when you're out to eat, like how much are you just in like judging super fascinated mode, like strike up some conversations and learn? Like, yeah, I'm curious. Um, so it it depends on the people, the timing and the place, right? Like it, it's got to be appropriate. I'm not trying to go through and browbeat people that that's not what they do. Um, my, my wife usually gives me the pick of our seat at the table because most times I want to be able to see as much as possible where I can like 
watch the service. I can watch the door because I can see those things, right? Those moments where, oh, that host just triple, triple sat that section. I can see that server's going down or, oh my goodness, the tickets just hit the floor at the bar. Like everything's going to start popping off now. Like I can watch all those things and not have to be involved, which is great. Um, and, you know, uh, occasionally anxiety inducing. Um, but, uh, yeah, I've, I've been to a couple of places where I literally... I started in the industry way back when bartending, I literally want to jump across the bar and be like, let me help you clear the well. Let me clear the wood for you a bit. Like just I'll, I'll help and we'll all feel better in about five minutes. Exactly. And then uh, I, I don't know how well it'll show off, but I basically have a bunch of food tattooed all over me. Uh, so in places where it's a little bit more part of the culture, like I'll sit up at the bar and make sure that I got my sleeves exposed. Um, and that tends to start up those conversations, whether it's at bars or at restaurants um, and then, yeah, the, those food pieces go. But I tend to try and let let that kind of happen organically. Like, you know, I, I talk about food all the time, but I don't need to go be like, oh, back when I was working in restaurants, let me tell you, you know, kind of like startup conversation pieces. But it definitely happens often. And uh, and I love engaging in it and seeing how other people kind of approach it from uh, from yeah. their standpoint on what they do with the, with the industry. What do you think of the cooking shows? Are they fascinating or garbage to you? Um, well, it's a broad category to hit and, and I, there's yeah. definitely some that I like, um, I'm, I'm kind of on again, off again with top chef. I know it's big, it's massive. It's got a long running. Uh, sometimes I think it's been phenomenal to watch other times. I don't know. It just doesn't hold me. Um, at the great British, great British baking show, of course, I think fascinates me the just that sense of like competition without the edginess, I think of a competition show. Um, you know, more like a camaraderie, like, hey, we're going to get to this all together at the end. And one of us is just going to be better at it than everyone else. And they're OK with it. It's kind of fun. Um, and then uh, I bumped into a new one on HBO called uh, The Big Brunch, uh, hosted by Dan Levy. Um, and that one was a lot more I think it's really much more focused on the contestants and what they were trying to do. And it like involves some more mentorship pieces. And even throughout the competition, they're like, this is your niche, right? Whether it was street food or if it was bakery or whatever, um, and the mission that the individual contestants were trying to like build their way towards. So they paired them with people already in that field as part of like the mid part of the competition. So even like participating, hopefully got these folks better at what they're trying to do in their outside life. And I think that kind of development part within the competition piece um, is, is intriguing as far as, as opposed to just a, you know, some of the like let's throw everybody into the fire and watch who who kind yeah. of up in the in the stress. Yeah, so interesting. So shifting to the sale seller buyer relationship, there's a few things that popped into my head that I'm interested about. When folks send you samples, do you care? Like, is there value if it shows up in just a straight cardboard box, or does it feel special and? add some value if there's a handwritten note a bit about the company and it, it feels more like a care package versus just like here's our product without like just more cardboard boxy hmm. um i guess it's a it's a bit of a mixed uh, i apologize a little bit of a mixed bag with it right like there's this element of uh, that that personal touch that you're talking about right like how to be able to reach out and, and make it not just seem like it's a uh, a personalityless transaction, and and then that el the extra piece of like in in our area, my my current world with with the restaurants, like we're not really 
there's not a whole lot of like unsolicited samples kind of coming in and making it their way to the menu yeah. as of right now. Everything is kind of focused into, you know, solving solving something within our menu, right? Whether it's the innovation piece to get more guests interested and active into the building, or if it's um, improving quality of existing ingredients, things like that. So we're very focused on what we're trying to bring in because uh, we've got limited bandwidth, a lot of stuff to go to do, and and you know, trying to to make sure that we can check all the boxes with it. Um, and and the other part I think is the you know sustainability is that continues to grow right like the more stuff that comes wrapped into it that's not necessarily wrapped up in the core totally. you know there's so yeah. much digital communication now between like PDFs I mean every time anytime a broker or a rep walks into the door with like an envelope or a folder full of like hey here's my blog yeah. piece like my heart drops right like yeah it could have just emailed it to me all I'm gonna do with this right now is taking the back scan recycle it. Yeah. Okay. Right. Like so, there's there's these pieces where you know that that tactile that that personal part might feel like it's harder to convey in in digital format, but I think that there's some value in potentially exploring that further just to minimize the impact on all the actual resources that we all know are scarce, you know, across the board. Yeah, and it, totally, feels, it feels a lot of times still like, especially I think with like people shipping cold samples and things, you know, there's still better ways to do that than wrap it in styrofoam. Um, or, but it still feels sometimes I've seen some pretty quote unquote sustainable brands, but their actual frozen samples mm -hmm. are still arriving in styrofoam, which is kind of mind blowing to me. Um, mm -hmm. That that like piece kind of gets overlooked as part of their sustainable missions. Yeah, totally. So if you are interested in a product, and the person, the salesperson offers up an in-person, do you, will you take them up? You know, I know things have shifted a bit uh, post-COVID, but do you still prefer someone to come present you the product live or are you just more, hey, just send me samples and we'll review it on our own time? Uh, more the latter. Um, yeah, right now in the interest of everyone's time, it's, it, you know, we're trying to move fast. It, I was talking a little bit about, you know, our spring menu, um, you know, that we're getting geared up for. So, so the request for product process for that one, I mean, we brought in 53 samples on one particular SKU that we were trying to fill, wow. you know, so like getting everybody a little bit of FaceTime for those kind of things, unfortunately, gets you, a out of bounds. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So just understand that. So that you were looking for one item and you tried 53 to find the best. Yeah. So it wow. just, um, trying to like get get to that right piece and it's it's that that I guess for us at some point being able to have the the pleasure of that kind of time right not everybody has that sort of availability with it and it's a relatively easy to find ingredient there's a lot of people who make it uh, which is why the field was so large I mean typically we're looking for things a little bit further on the innovation edge where like, there's one or two companies that make it um, but this one was was massive and it was just the, the number of things that came in and it was different versions, right? Whether it was, you know, canned or frozen or fresh or, you know, like some kind of processing down the road. So it just gave us a very wide sort of berth. But we had to talk to a ton of people to figure out where we wanted to have it. How many people are tasting on your team? Um, so the the supply chain team does the pre-screen just to make sure they're, you know, like even worth sending to the culinary team. And then if they like it enough to kind of put it into a dish for tasting, then there's five people on the executive decision makers group to be able to like give it the final. That's 
That's, that sounds like a job I want to get to. I want to be in the executive tasting group. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Just, you know, roll in and, and eat things and give your honest opinion. And, and give a really brutal opinion. That sounds like a great job. <laughs> 100%. Um, so yeah. I know, I know you guys work on, you know, seasonal menus I've worked with you guys on one in the past. So typically what does that timeline look like? You're running two seasonal menus a year, correct? And what is the general buying cycle to it ending up on the menu? Uh, so we actually do four okay. uh, new cycles. So there's uh, but there's, there's usually a lot less transition between spring to summer and then fall to winter, those ones group pretty well, but there's always an ingredient shift. Um, and then we do a lot of like back of the house sort of operational cleanups in between on those smaller jumps from spring to summer. Um, but uh, so with that cadence, we're really trying to shoot for 12 weeks worth of runtime between each menu. Um, it does play a little bit in those, you know, not necessarily like lesser seasons, but in the summer is a little shorter, just you know, due to the nature of the items that we're looking at, uh, we tend to see some pretty favorable results um, out of our fall menu ingredients, and there's a lot of lift there on the you know sort of uh, per guest average. Um, and then winter, you know, we kind of shorten that up sometimes again, depending on how the weather goes, and you know, we're not really changing anything there that's going to impact the menu too heavily. And um, I mean, we're you know, let's see here, so spring goes live in April. And we've been talking about it since November, uh, but talking about it, you know, there's all the steps involved, right? Like I've got to bring in all the potential samples. Everything's got to get tested. It goes through three waves, at least, of tastings with that executive team to dial it in, make sure that it's 100% great. And then, you know, between their materials and training, um, you know, menu printing, photographing, like all of the rest of those parts, there's a couple of additional shifts Meanwhile, on the supply chain side, of course, now that we've got it dialed in, I've got to negotiate, I got to lock in pricing, I got to figure out supplier to distributor, uh, make sure that we hit all those benchmarks. So um, my target is to have everything to that like supplier distributor relationship, ideally with six weeks or so worth of space. Uh, so that way we can kind of get everything in, uh, get it loaded out. Um, and then for us, <clears throat> we do uh staggered sort of training phases as well so i'm um, about my six weeks prior to the menu going live all of our regional chefs we have six of them come together in phoenix and work with the home office team to work through every single recipe they pour over it is it the right uh is it the right batch size for us is there any tweaks in the ingredients how does it taste how does it execute operationally sort of like pressure testing it um, and then two weeks after that, they go to their regions and do one session with all of their executive chefs in a, in a market, so a regional hub training. Um, and then once those guys have that tasting done, then they go back to their restaurants and then they immediately do food shows. Uh, so two days where we make one of everything, talk about it, the big whole, you know, the big picture of everything that they're going to do, basically two days worth of all staff meetings in the building of like, Here's all the cool new stuff. Here's why, here's what, here's what it looks like. Um, and then the last two weeks prior to go live is uh, features. So we're going to try this and this. They're going to be on the verbal features for the night and that kind of thing. So my timing even is, you know, has a buffer of like four weeks on top of the go live to be able to make sure that everybody has all their things in place. That doesn't sound yes. like st stressful at all. <laughs> <laughs> 
That is a thing. That's super, super interesting to hear the timeline. And then so when a brand or manufacturer is in, supplier is in, how can they support or there's no real support? Basically, if you need something, you just want a quick answer. Like, is there because brands always ask, how can we support when we're in an account? There's nothing. What can they do? Yeah. Um, I mean, if, if everything has been done right and, you know, we're like working with a distributor to help get it to the back door of the building or to the restaurants, then, yeah, the only thing is like mostly emergency triage, right? And like keeping the, um, yeah, keeping us in stock in case anything goes sideways. I mean, there's, there's so much complexity, I think, between the like supplier distributor relationship because mm -hmm. while the distributor is going through and like kind of dealing with the larger transactions, right? They have to buy it up front. They have to sell it to us, kind of recoup all the costs and build all the, the markup in the middle. Like they're not really the customer. Like we're mm -hmm. still the customer for it. And mm -hmm. so, yes. you know, if, and in, in some instances, having conversations with my suppliers being like, you and I have talked about what my expected volume is on this item, X number of cases against these, you know, this number of weeks uh, for these particular warehouses. Now with the number of SKUs that we're, we're watching, ideally uh, I have enough bandwidth and tools in my belt to be able to go through and say, I'm constantly watching these new SKUs that I'm not going to have to worry about them kind of dipping or, or not hitting criteria or worst case scenario, the distributor not ordering what I asked them to and cutting us short because they don't have slots or because they weren't paying attention or they didn't really trust what we did or they, you know, whatever causes them for that yeah. kind of behavior. Uh, but the supplier is going to be the first one to know that it's like, Hey, yeah, Arizona didn't order the 15 cases you asked for, you know, or that we thought they did, they did seven, right? Like, so maybe some sort of first alert pieces on behavior there, but I said every relationship's very complicated and I think, you know, it would require a little bit of nuance in that element. Yeah, yeah. Out of stocks must be brutal, brutal mid-menu cycle. So do you guys go to any of the trade shows? Do you guys go to NRA or any of the interesting uh, food service shows? Um. So yes, we're trying to be very thoughtful about it. Um. So for my 43 restaurants and all the things that we manage in the supply chain, I have three people. Um, you know, so us getting out of the office for, you know, kind of uninterrupted conference time gets a little bit precious. So trying to make sure that if we're going to do something that there, there's enough impact there to make it worth everyone else having to shoulder the, you know, keep the fires burning kind of burden. Um, but, um, yeah, I, I personally haven't been to NRA, uh, goodness, since pre COVID, um, yeah. I was just about to go to last year's and then that's when I bought, caught my first wave of COVID. So I had to stay home for everyone's safety. Um, I'm excited mm -hmm. to potentially get there this year. Um, you know, my my brief excursion the last time was pretty fun, but uh, it was being driven by a, a couple of uh, um, industry veterans had a very jaded look on the idea of like dealing with sales folks. So like we got like scratched mm -hmm. out our barcodes. So you yeah, can, I, can, <laughs> I can only imagine yeah, that's they, that's they, us they, this year with two booths. <laughs> hey, chef, can we just get a quick minute of your time? Yeah, you don't you don't should not have your name available. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> Go incognito. Yeah. Yeah. So it was, it was sniper, sniper precision on who we needed to talk to on the floor. I think we were grand total there for like four and a half, maybe five hours. Um, and then the rest of the time we were out, you know, having private conversations and other restaurants, meeting up with other people in the industry, but not like being there in the mix of it. And I think now is a, you know, with my like it's like a, yeah, it's just a big celebration. Right. Um, cool. So a uh, couple of, 
fun questions that just pop to mind to wrap. I don't know if you could show up in uh, any country outside the States tonight for dinner, where are you showing up? Oh, um, wow. That's a good one. Um, I'm torn. I think um, it'd be a, it'd be a pull between like Northern Italy. Like I think, you know, a little bit uh, heavier on the meaty, you know, creamy kind of like hearty style meals um, or, uh, I mean, I really want to dine in Japan at some point, you know, being able yeah. to go through and just kind of experience that part. Like noodles have been rising in my awareness at home and a lot of my like home cooking stuff. Um, but you know, there's so much, so much flexibility within like cuisine of origin, right? Like, you know, what you can go through and do with them is still kind of scratch a little bit of that same base itch, which is fun. Yeah. I love it. And then Japan would be very is- high on my list. <laughs> Yeah, for, for sure. And then what, what cookbook have you used the most in your adult life in your at your house? Oh, uh, um, let's see here. Hang on. They're stacked behind me. You can't see them. But, uh, <laughs> ooh. Um, so as far as, so my, I guess to, to preference this, my relationship with cookbooks is that I love them. I have a lot of them. Um, but in the end, I only kind of use them as like jump off points in most stages. Like I feel like with my 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 prowess in, in cooking, there's very few things where like I needed to explain to me at that kind of like detail level. Um, but the combinations and sometimes like process reference um, are really super useful. So I think my favorite or the one I've most referenced in my adult life is actually uh, modernist cuisine. Um so I've got the at-home version. I just I couldn't fork up for the full encyclopedia set. So my uh, one of these days when I win it big, that's going to be on one of my first purchases. But um, the at-home version I think is still just as great. And and with that one, it's it's really I loved the the in-depth approach to not just the process but also the history. You know that that part of it I think really helped me reconnect with with cooking as a profession at a time when I was kind of. And I'm so burnt out. It's hard to like take a passion and make make it your job and like have it stay fun. Um, and so that one really helped me kind of like come back off the precipice of like culinary burnout by giving me a, a better appreciation at a deeper level of like some of the core reasons why things do what they do in the food industry. I love it. That one that one gave me goosebumps. I I love <laughs> it. Well, uh, cool. Well. Thank you. Thank you very much for chatting. This is a really interesting conversation for us and kind of a different conversation than what we usually have. So uh, thank you very much for for hanging with us for a few. I really, really appreciate it. And uh, have a good weekend.